Hello, and welcome to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. This show is presented to you by Gaslowitz Frankel, a law firm dedicated to resolving disputes involving your wealth, whether through your will, your trust, your business, or your investments. For news, pictures, and tips, go to our website at gaslowitzfrankel.com or follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute. Our show's hashtag is Wealth Matters. Your hosts today are Craig Frankel and Adam Gaslowitz. And today, we're talking about financial planning for long-term care. And now it's time to introduce our guests. We're pleased to have with us today Brent Eden, an attorney and principal with Nice Lagana, Eden & Cully, and David Hulstrom, co-founder and chief investment officer at Financial Architects. Before we begin, why don't I have each of you just tell our audience uh, briefly who, who you guys are. So Brent, why don't you start? I'm Brent Eden. I'm with a, a specialty insurance firm called Nice Lagana, Eden & Cully. And I'm David Holstrom. I'm with uh, Financial Architects, a fee-only registered investment advisory firm in Woodstock, Georgia. So the topic today is obviously long-term care planning and planning for that. Uh, Brent, can you just tell the audience what we mean when we talk about long-term care? Sure. So long-term care is a, a, a pretty general term that can refer to many, many different things, generally towards the later part of your life or of someone's life, uh, and refers to um, different areas of care or need that people may need uh, later in their life, whether it be um, could be simply having someone at home helping you eating and cooking meals. It could be encompass nursing care or assisted living facilities. It can encompass a lot of different things, but it generally refers to care needed towards the later stages of your life, help that you may need. I would like to have people cooking and cleaning my house for me, but apparently I'm not need, needing long-term care just yet. Can y'all, uh, David, maybe you can talk about it. How does, when's the right time a family or an individual who's not married should start thinking about planning financially to, to, to be able to afford long-term care? Well, obviously you want to start really, really young planning for retirement, or we'd like to say financial independence rather than retirement, because today some people think they're not going to quit. But there's a lot of interesting statistics out there. First of all, most people end up retired sooner than they expected involuntarily. Uh, it's a not very large number of people who think they're going to work till 65 or 70 or whatever, and the actual retirement age today is about 62. Really? Um, involuntarily because they are downsized? Because it's... it's there's less clear on that. The surveys, you know, to just ask people sort of when did you retire, when did you plan to retire, and the, and the reasons are, are a little fuzzier. But it looks like it's a combination of if you're in your 60s, even early 60s, and you lose your job, getting another one at that point is sort of a non-starter for a lot of people. It's very difficult to do. Um, the second issue is health issues um, that come up that people just um, are not up for, for working some more. And I think some people just get, get tired sooner than they expected to. <laughs> um, so... If you start really young with planning for achieving financial independence, then you've you've put away resources which also can obviously be used for long-term care. And so some people don't necessarily need long-term care insurance, but they need to think about what the plan is for when I get to that point, I need some help. What am I going to do? Is that a family member um, that I think is going to help? And if it is a family member, are they aware of this? <laughs> you know, that may be a, a crucial thing. Um, so that's so you start thinking about really young as far as buying insurance or doing anything specific that usually ends up being in your in your 50s or 60s the actuarial research says that you don't need to really buy it earlier than that but if you wait too long you run the risk of being uninsurable but a lot of people don't, of course don't need insurance they can self-insure or they don't have the resources to buy insurance and so forth so initially financial planning and long-term care planning are not separate things when you when no. you're younger it's just 
Now, what we're doing in financial planning is trying to identify all the things that could make you not financially successful. And so there's an array of risks that come up. And one of them is, what if my health is really poor and I need a lot of help and it's going to cost resources? Do I have those? You mentioned something that's very interesting to me that I don't normally think about. You mentioned if you plan on relying on somebody else to assist you. And it occurs to me that perhaps children of, of aging parents and, uh, are going to have to financially assist their parents if they did not financially plan. Is this something that your clients or Brent, your, your clients who are getting insurance that, that adult children are trying to financially plan or buy insurance for their parents? Well, that's a good, a good question. Um, yeah, we see parents actually um, who have had the experience of taking care of their parents generally very recently um, who now are interested not only it may be too late for them to buy insurance specifically and again I think it's important as David mentioned to know that insurance is just a part of long-term care planning it is not long-term care planning period right it is just a portion of it Uh, but we see parents who have dealt with taking care of their parents now emotionally wanting to get long-term care insurance for themselves. So that their kids don't have to go through correct. what they went through. Have That's you been correct. talking to my wife? Uh, n- not recently. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, it becomes uh, a little bit of an emotional desire or a psychological desire to say, look, I had to do this for my parents. It, it was difficult or whatever the experience was for them. I would like to make it maybe a little bit easier for my children and so I'm going to look into this even though I may be financially secure even though I've done a lot of financial planning and I could potentially a word in the industry self-insure for long-term care purposes but I feel like I want to have some insurance so so one of the questions you're asking versus self-insurance versus insurance is your own risk assessment whether what kind of risk you're willing to take So, so David when you're when you're asking about risk, I know when I've gone to financial planners or look for insurance, they always ask me or my broker, what is my risk tolerance? And I look at them like they're from an alien. I don't know what that is. So how do you, right. how do you help your clients determine their risk tolerance? And we're not talking about, you're not talking about risk in terms of uh, the kinds of, of investments you want to make, but the, the risk of certain things happening or not happening. Correct. I mean, how do you assess, you know, this is something, you know, it, it, everything is at a cost. If you buy insurance and you don't use it, in theory, you've kind of wasted your money. Right. If you save money, yet you didn't save enough, then gosh, insurance would have been good. How do you talk to your clients about that? Well, what we try to do is make sure, and we, we tend to have higher net worth clients, um, is make sure that every scenario we can think of is handled, is taken care of. Now, every once in a while, you run into something that's just not fixable, and then you make the client sort of aware this is an issue. One, for example, would be if you have a stay-at-home parent, typically a mom, um, and they have little kids, uh, you cannot buy disability insurance on a stay-at-home parent. And so that's a risk, and it's just out there, and there's no, there's no good solution to it. Um, we had one case where we actually did suggest that they look at long-term care insurance for a spouse who was not working, whose health was not great, 
um, who took care of grandchildren and so forth, but she was um, in her 50s. It's a little, a little earlier than you might normally think about it. And it was to hedge exactly this sort of one-off risk of she can't get disability insurance. What if the disability came along with needing some home help or something like that? And, and I do want to that. tell our listeners that grandparents caring for children, even part-time, is, is growing exponentially in our society. Yes. So what is it that people should be doing in their 30s, 40s, with regard to long-term care, or should they even be thinking about that? They're still trying to start a family, raise a family, raise their kids. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't worry about it at, at those ages uh, necessarily. So at that point, it's really just saving that for college, saving for uh, retirement. Just, yeah, it's, and I, I always go through. You know, it's really easy to be successful at those ages. It basically comes down to max out all your tax-deferred retirement opportunities: four hundred one k's, four hundred three b's, IRAs, all that stuff. Um, never borrow money for a depreciating asset. Um, like, and a, like a car? Like a car, um, and then you're good to go. Wow. Brett, tell us, let's, let's go to back to the basics. What are the options? If we want to purchase insurance, what types of insurance are available for long-term care? Sure. So it used to be that there was uh, only really one type of long-term care insurance, and that's what we call kind of traditional long-term care insurance, which most people know. Those policies um, are no longer quite as favorable as they might have been. For instance, you could have gotten a policy many years ago uh, that would cover all of your long-term care expenses for your entire lifetime. Those policies with no cap. With, with no cap. Those policies do not exist anymore. You cannot get a traditional long-term care policy for the most part that allows for a payments for long-term care purposes for the rest of your lifetime with no cap. Additionally, those policies, if people have them, most people have been keeping them not letting them go. Insurance companies did not anticipate that to occur. Insurance companies also did not anticipate the costs of healthcare rising as much as they have. Or of people living as long as they are. Or of people living as long as they are. And so those policies, if people have them and have kept them, they have seen huge increases in their premiums. And that's allowed by the insurance companies. And some people just continue to pay those premiums, even though they've been increasing. Some people have decided to take a lesser benefit amount and pay a lower premium. Just depends on people's own individual circumstances. Yeah, and, and because of that risk of the premiums being increased in the future, when I'm buying insurance, I'm really trying to offload the risk to somebody else, not sort of share it with them. And if they have bad claims experience, my rates go up. So we encourage people, if they're able to and they need the insurance, to do a limited pay policy. There's policies, Brent would know more about this, where you pay for a fixed number of years and then you're done. And then your rates can't go up because you're done. So let's talk about that. You mentioned traditional policies. Right. Um, now tell us what the new stuff is. So, so you can still get traditional policies, but they're limited in benefit today. Okay. The other types of policies that are, that are out there today are really, quite frankly, they are combination life insurance policies and long-term care policies. And there really are two specific types. One is what's called a asset-based or linked benefit policy. It is based as a life insurance policy. It's regulated as a life insurance policy, but its purpose is for long-term care purposes. And as David was saying, you pay into this for a certain period of years, usually no more than 10 years. Generally, it's less than that, but some of them allow you to pay up to over 10 years. And then you have a guaranteed benefit amount that generally increases based on some inflation factor over time, but it is guaranteed. And the benefit covers what? The benefit would cover if you are, so you can draw from the policy based on the amount of coverage that you have. 
if you satisfy uh, a requirement of needing long-term care, which means that you need help with two of six defined activities of daily living, which are eating, bathing, toileting, dressing, uh, transferring, and continence. So if your doctor says that you need help with at least two of those, you can start drawing benefits out of your policy. Is this policy any different than just saving for the future? Um, quite frankly, not really. It's just a specific bucket, right? It's for someone who says, I want to have a specific bucket. I know that I have four long-term care purposes, and you move that over into this policy. So it, you, are you basically putting money aside and then, then borrowing it back later or, or, re, or taking it out with no intention of it going back into the policy. You're, you're taking it out to use for long-term care purposes with no intention to go back. And out. what if you don't use it or you don't use all of it? What so happens? That's a really good question. One of the great things about these policies are that they have other options. One of the drawbacks to the old long-term care policies was that if you didn't use it, you didn't get anything, right? It was just money spent. These, if you decide you don't need it anymore, you can surrender the policy and get back the money you paid into it. Not much more. There's no growth factor to it, but you get back what you paid into it. In addition, if you were to pass away and never have used the benefit, there is a death benefit because, again, this is a life insurance policy that goes to your beneficiaries, which is basically about the amount you put into it as well. So at least you get your money back in various different ways if you don't use so, it for so long-term So the, the old policies, you paid into them and hoped you never needed them and never got the money back. Correct. Now you pay into them. The hope, equivalent hope. of term life insurance. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> That's right. Now, now you hope you don't use it and you get the money back. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and, and on those policies, this is actually an area that this is really popular now. And they are, I'm yes. not a fan, so I'll, I'll sort of explain why I'm not a fan. Um, it's not that they're, they're bad. It's that... When I do financial planning, I do it in two steps. One, what is the mathematically correct answer? If the client is Mr. Spock, um, you know, what's the thing that optimizes everything? And then the second step is, given that clients are generally not Mr. Spock, what will make them happiest? But I always try to solve the, the sort of the math problem first. And I'm unable to come up with any financial planning scenario. Maybe there is one I haven't thought of, but I can't come up with one where I either need long-term care or I need life insurance. But if I need the long-term care, my life insurance need goes away, and that's what these sort of are. But it absolutely hits people's hot button on, I don't want to feel like I wasted the money, which is odd to me because they don't feel that way about their property casualty insurance, but they do feel like that about other forms of insurance. And so I think it's, it's more of a psychological play than it is sort of a financial planning play. I agree. I and that, agree. by the way, is a very important point um, you can listen to one of our earlier radio shows, but it's called emotional uh, emotional investing. Most people invest. We think of them like Dr. Spock, logically, but the truth is most of us have an emotional attachment to how we invest our money. Right. Mr. Spock. Dr. Spock's a whole different deal. Uh, you listen to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing your wealth. Uh, we're your host today, Craig Frankel and Adam Gaslowitz from the fiduciary litigation firm of Gaslowitz Frankel. We're talking today with Brent Eden, attorney and principal with Nice Lagana, Eden and Cully, and David Holstrom, co-founder and chief investment officer for Financial Architects. And uh, we're talking today about financial planning for long-term care. Uh, ju just to follow up on something you were saying a minute ago, um, uh, what when you tell your clients what you just described a minute ago, what is the reaction you tend to get from that? Do they understand the, the, the distinction you're making? A little bit. And the other thing that I tend to say a lot is, on average, when you buy insurance, you lose money. Because on average, insurance companies are profitable, right? You should expect to lose at least their profit margins and their overhead. Um, you're insuring the risk. 
Right, but it doesn't mean you buy insurance. We, and we tend to recommend in a lot of areas more insurance than most insurance people recommend, especially on um, life insurance. Um, we tend to recommend much higher death benefits than most insurance agents sort of pop up with. But Brent, you and David can talk after the show. <laughs> <laughs> but I, well, whenever you hire a professional, you're going to pay for their services, whether it's for insurance, financial right. planning, or anything else. Absolutely, I mean, but you, and and there are risks you can't afford to take. So you clearly need to buy the insurance. And long-term care is one. There's a lot of cases where we're running these scenarios I mentioned earlier. We're trying to sort of break the financial plan and see what would cause, cause catastrophic failure and in some cases the only thing that causes failure is an extended long-term care need um, and so then you clearly need to look at the insurance but I'm I'm wishy-washier on long-term care recommendations than I are some and some other things because we have had issues in the industry with the rates going up and and all this kind of stuff I I tell people you should look at it uh, there's other things where I say you have to get this or you can't be a client long-term care I don't I don't go to that level um, but for example we've had you know breadwinners with young children who didn't have enough life insurance or people who didn't have um, umbrella liability policies, things like that, I will go to the mat and say, you've got to get it. It's not negotiable. Just do it. Long-term care, I say, you really need to look at this. This is the thing that causes failure. And if you look at it and decide it's too expensive, figure out what you're going to do. Um, well, so what, so why, then why would you want to, if, if you're going to put money away for the future and, and have a policy that will, will cover needs that are unexpected in the future, if you've got a policy like you described, Brent, where you've got a, a, a death benefit provision in it, why would you not want to put your money into a policy like you described where you've got long-term care provisions and death benefit provisions instead of just putting it into a life insurance policy? Well, um, you may not because you may not really need it, I think, to, David, to David's point. You may, not, you may not need to do that. Really, I think it just gets more so with these types of policies, and there's one more that I'll, I'll talk about in a second as well. well. Is there a limit to what you can put into these kind of policies? There, there is a limit as okay. to what you can put into them. And quite frankly, the folks who are, who are purchasing these types of policies, they don't absolutely need this. Right. This is just another bucket for them, another way to self-insure, quite frankly, is really what they're doing. Now, almost forced or, 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 or uh, saving so that you get regimented and you do it because otherwise you won't. Correct. Or they just feel better because this money is identified That's as right. being for that need. I think it's more of a, to David's point, I think it's more of a psychological thing, right? Mm -hmm. They know that they have this bucket. Yes, and, they And, of course, if they get disabled or die quickly, then it was a great investment. Well, it would have been better to buy the straight-up insurance if they die quickly. But Correct. you don't know. Right, Correct. but you don't know. You don't and, know the, and the other issue with buying, like, a long-term care policy is there's lots of risks that come up, lots of things in retirement that you may need money for. And if you don't have a huge amount of resources and you buy the long-term care, you've now eliminated the bucket to be available for other things, which is a problem. So, that you know, to your question, your point. So, so Brent, you're getting to the third option, so which the, may answer that question. Right. So go so, to the third so option. So there's a third option, which is actually – a life insurance policy, a permanent life insurance policy, like most people think of a permanent life insurance policy. It could be a whole life policy or some type of universal life policy or guaranteed universal life policy. But added to that is a long-term care rider, okay? And the rider gives you access actually to the death benefit early. So most people think that it may be access to the cash value of the policy. That's not true. It actually, so if you have a million dollar life insurance policy, uh, you can have access to a portion or maybe all of that million dollars of death benefit early. It's actually called an accelerated benefit rider, but it's specifically for long-term care purposes. Are there rules on when you can access those? Sa same rules if you need help with two, at least two activities of daily. So let's just do a math thing. So let's assume you get a million dollar policy. So it's going to have a death benefit of a million dollars. 
and you have a need for long-term care along the way, and you spend $500,000 during your life, does that mean you get a death benefit of 500000 Correct. It reduces the death benefit per dollar of what you've used for long-term care purposes. And, Brent, you've man- mentioned the activities of daily living a couple times as being a trigger. And uh, as I understand it, cognitive impairment is also a trigger, Correct. sort of parallel right. to that. You're so, right. Okay. So that's a separate one, right? right. There's so two our- activities. That's a good point. There's two activities of daily living of the six. Also, separately, if you have cognitive impairment, say Alzheimer's or something like that, uh, other, then other, you can. Are there differences in what the policies will allow you to spend the money on? Like, can you spend it on assisted living? Can you spend it on in-home care? I mean, is it you, can sp- you can spend it on anything as long as you, as long meet, as you're meeting as long as meet those needs. Yeah. Now, there's differences in how the insurance companies will pay it out to you. Some companies will just pay it out reimbursement for your expenses, whereas others will give what are called indemnity benefits, meaning if your benefit or your policy allows for $20,000 a month of benefit, then they'll pay you the entire $20,000 a month as long as you meet the criteria, whether you actually used $20,000 a month of care. Okay, so our listeners are going to ask two questions, um, I think. They may ask a lot more, but they're going to ask one question. As a general, give us a range, either one of you, if you know, what does long-term care or the variety cost? Not the insurance part, but the actual care. And the second is, and this will be more for Brent, how much does the three types of insurance you talk, what's the range of cost? So, David, you may know, you know, how someone plans for long-term care, and I can give some suggestions. Um, you talk about the, the amount that the long-term care would cost? Yeah, so take, you're saving yeah. for it. To, to, to take care of yourself. Yeah, it's, it depends on the state. We actually have a, uh, a book that we look up the, the information. We're, we have clients all over the country, and, and we look up and see in their area or where they plan to move or where the kids are, what's the typical cost of care. But it tends to be in the seventy, eighty thousand $80,000 range. Um, a year for our clients, which interestingly, we had one client who was um, not married uh, and lived a, a fairly nice lifestyle. And um, as we're running her scenarios in financial planning, her long-term care case was more successful than her regular case without because she was traveling and spending because and she was spending less money um, than she was not in the facility. Um, so. Um, anyway, that's, that was sort of interesting. I do want to remind our listeners that there's lots of different levels of care that you have in-home care where someone comes and helps you and you pay by the hour or something. There's independent living where you have a facility, but you're still living independently in a variety of levels. There's assisted living, which is also at a facility, typically in an apartment, where you get assistance, but you're still living somewhat independently long before you get to a nursing home. Okay, so, so Brent, now kind of tell us uh, the, the, the $64,000 question for those who remember that. How much does something like this cost? So that's a really difficult question because so many factors go into it, right? I already talked about there's different policy types, right? So each policy type has different pricing related to it. But on top of that, and this is probably more important, someone's age and health. Is the, so is I'm going to cost thing. a lot of money. Yes, you're already costing a lot of money. <laughs> if you're durable at all. <laughs> so, so typically people start looking at long-term care insurance, say, in their 50s and 60s, right? And they typically have to be healthy. Now, when I say healthy, it's different than, say, life insurance. Healthy, right? Life insurance is looking at mortality risk, where um, long-term care insurance, you're looking more at uh, – it's not a morbidity, but it's similar. Like that's a disability generally um, 
uh, risk type is morbidity, and it's more similar to that than it is a long-term care. Or, yeah, excuse me, than life. Yeah, if you're highly likely to die, you can probably buy long-term care insurance. So, like, we'll never pay out of That's this. That's right. This, That's this, right. This guy is That's 300 right. pounds and obese, and he's going to drop That's dead right. a heart attack. You know. And for these, as long as it dies quickly. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And uh, and these newer policies that are life insurance policies and long-term care policies combined, you have to. Uh, qualify for both life insurance and long-term care. There's actually two different underwriting standards that the insurance companies will go through to look at the pricing. So, so even though you can't talk about how much, I mean, every policy is a different different cost. Correct. But, but as compa- if you're comparing a, a life insurance policy to a policy with the kind of rider you describe, where long-term care rider, is that policy going to cost any more once you've qualified for that kind of policy? So the majority for the life insurance with a long-term care rider, the majority of that premium is going to be for the life insurance. Okay. The long-term care rider portion is a small percentage increase so it's not on that, top of so the life there, insurance. So is there any reason not to have that rider? Is, um, it, is, it, is it nominally more expensive? or it's, it's, it, it depends, again, right? You could have someone who's very healthy, could get a preferred rate class for life insurance, but be rated below standard for long-term care purposes. So that will increase the rider. And so you may say, you know what? I've got enough money to self-insure for long-term care purposes. I really need the life insurance. Let's not go ahead and put this on the life insurance policy. Uh, Or it could be, say, if you're looking at life insurance for wealth transfer purposes and you have it in a trust, you may not even be able to access the long-term care rider if it's inside of the tr- if the policy is owned by the trust. So there may be reasons not to do that. And that's a good point to mention that, law, that life insurance, in addition to the insurance part, is also used for financial planning and may be put in another vehicle, whether it be a insurance trust or something else that you can't access. If that's something to always remember when you're planning. That's right. That's right. Are there any downsides to getting this kind of insurance? Um, the downsides? Uh, other than the costs. Other than the costs? Um, I there's always downsides, right? There's always downsides. Basically, cost is a big one. Um, and it may be that you never use it, right? That's always a downside with the newer policies today. They've hopefully planned or, or designed them in a way to help you get your money back. Although, if you're using the rider you discussed, I'm assuming that in a, in a traditional policy, whether it's universal or variable or whatever, you'll get some gain in value of the policy. I'm assuming when we're talking about the rider, you get the beth- the death benefit or the disability benefit that you don't get as much gain in value. Uh, you may not. It, it just depends on the policy type, right? Certain policy types don't have any growth in the cash value in them, right? A guaranteed policy, typically guaranteed universal life, typically doesn't have a lot of or any cash value associated, whereas a variable universal life policy depends on the asset allocation that you choose within the policy, the growth of that, which could be, you know, 100% to equities or 100% to bonds. And so it shouldn't really affect it that much. Yes, there'll be a little bit more deduction coming out of your cash value, the monthly ch- charges that come out because of the long-term care rider cost, but it shouldn't affect the cash value growth that much. Yeah, David? The other downside, in addition to the cost, and I mentioned earlier, is, is that you've dedicated funds toward one problem when you may have other problems that come up you want money for. Um, but the other issue is, and this is very hard to quantify, but there's a lot of anecdotal sort of data out there that some insurance companies have made it difficult for people to access their benefits. So you have somebody who is in their 80s, they need long-term care, and then the insurance company gives them the runaround on actually getting paid um, on the theory that if we stall long enough, they will die or, for, or they have cognitive impairment, they'll forget they called us. 
um, and we'll never pay the thing out. And I, I just philosophically don't like things where I give people money now and then later when I'm not in a very good position to argue with them because of infirmity or whatever, I have to argue with them. You know, uh, now I'd be happy to go toe to toe with whoever is trying to, you know, not give me what I need. But I'm thinking in the future, I think it'd be better in a lot of cases to just have my own money and then I can do whatever I want with it instead of trying to negotiate that at that point. And that's an excellent point that we should remind our listeners. As you age, your ability to make financial decisions diminishes, even if you're still cognitively with it. It makes sense to start planning for other people to assist you mm-hmm. and making decisions using powers of attorney to have an advocate. I do want to highlight that disability insurance, your description of insurers, probably pretty on the on the nail. I mean, I really do think see, there's some delay. As to long-term care insurance, I really think, talk to Brent, that it depends on the carrier, but the riders are much more, much easier to access than a traditional policy where you've got to jump through more hoops. Well, the, the New York Times a few years back did, a, did an article series on, on problems people were having collecting their, their benefits on long-term care. Like I said, it's anecdotal, but it does seem like there's at least some level of, of issue there in some cases. Well, let, me, let me switch gears one second. For um, I imagine a lot of your clients, both of your clients actually, um, come to you not talking about their own expected long-term care needs, but the but the needs of their parents who didn't didn't plan for their own long-term care needs. I mean, how, how do you advise clients whose parents have no long-term care planning in place? Yeah, that does come up um, because a lot of times the client that we're working with is the only person in the family that has money, right? Yes. One one child has done really well and the other one's less well and and so forth. And so they're they're sort of the deep pockets. We call those contingent risks, right? You're you're potentially going to be the deep pocket for whoever in the family has has an issue. Um, You could buy long-term care insurance on parents. We see that not very often, but we do see that occasionally. Um, the, The other thing you could do is just be aware that if mom and dad need help, I may have to help them, or I may feel morally obligated to help them. And if you have the capability to do that, then obviously that's a great thing to do. But can um, you can you buy insurance for your parents? You yes. can. You yeah. can. As long as they qualify, right? As long as they're healthy enough to qualify. But they would can. have to. They have to know know about it. They would have to be examined and correct. tested. That's correct. But now, a lot of times, with, if the parents are in a position where the child is, they don't have the resources to buy the insurance themselves, they're probably going to end up on Medicaid. And so it might be better for the child to sort of just keep their resources and help them. Um, rather than, you know, blow up what would have been government-assisted in the first place. And and I do want to mention about Medicaid, because a lot of people don't understand this. Medicare is insurance, and you've got to buy supplements and all of that. Medicare, which everyone gets at retirement age, does not cover assisted living or or nursing homes. Medicaid is is state-run, and in Georgia, Medicaid only pays for nursing homes. So if you're going to use assisted living or independent living, or you're gonna to try to bring caregivers into your home, which is a goal of many of, of our clients, want to stay at home independent as long as possible. Medicaid in Georgia and in most states will not cover it. So that is a problem that people don't realize. Right. And right. Medicare actually does cover, but it's one very, very limited sliver of long-term care. It's up to 100 days if you are expected, if it's rehabilitated. Correct, if like you leave if it's a hospital or something correct. and you need essentially interim care. Right, to get you back to home, which is, is not a problem for most people. Right. Brett, let me ask you a weird follow-up question. You were talking about life insurance and, it, and on the third policy, the third option riders. So you can use the, the death benefit or, or the long-term care benefit. During the term of the policy, could you also borrow against it in the way you would t- do a traditional policy? You can, yeah, correct. You can you can still access the cash value in the normal ways that you could access a cash value of a 
permanent life insurance policy, whether that be withdrawals or loans or both. It will affect potentially the death benefit, right? It still has the same effect on a life insurance policy as it normally would, but you can do that as well. I, I'd like to follow up on something David said as well by, on buying the coverage, say, for your parents. I have seen um, children who wanted to get insurance, long-term care insurance on their parents, but could afford it. They didn't need to do it, right? They could, they've been successful and they could afford to take care of their parents. But what they determined that they could do actually was they could get a life insurance policy on their parents that would actually, when their parents passed away, this is maybe a morbid way to think about it, would reimburse them actually for all of the long-term care uh, expenses that they had for their parents at that time. So they're using life insurance essentially as a reimbursement. Deal. Correct. correct. But, and obviously there's no free lunch. I mean, you're out right. the time value of money, but because people are bad about discounting cash flows, they think that they got it for free. Right. Uh, but really the, the money that you gave up in premium, the earnings you could have had on that in your portfolio is what actually paid for all those things. It wasn't actually free. It just looks free to people. Sure. Okay, so we're nearing the end of our show, and I told you off the, the, the radio show beforehand that I was going to ask for a success story. So tell me, David, let's start with you. What's the, a, uh, a, a real-life event where you have talked to your clients and done successful long-term care planning? Or, or, or one where there was just an utter failure. Or an utter failure, but I like the we success love, We love utter Well, failures. I've actually got one that was just, it was just odd. Um, I had... had been active in a, in a church years ago and then I had moved to a different state and a lady I knew from the church just casually um, called me uh, and she was almost in tears and she was just very upset and her husband she was older and her husband when I was there was carting around an oxygen bottle and he was not in, in good shape um, and apparently some insurance agent was hounding her to buy long-term care insurance like right this second you need a policy and obviously not for her not for her husband and um, I said well I don't know if you need a policy or not. I mean, but uh, I thought maybe I could make it go away. And we sort of alluded to this earlier. If you have a lot of money, you don't need it yourself insured. And if you don't have very much, you can't afford it and you'll end up on Medicaid and it's all fine. So I thought, well, maybe I can bookend this. And I said, you know, is your net worth over $2 million? And she said, I don't know. John won't tell me. It's her husband's name. Uh, he's got a lot of things, stocks and things in the basement, but he said I could look at him after he's gone. And I <laughs> By said, the way, that is a common problem among the non-earning spouse. Hide, yeah. Hiding their stocks And so then the I basement. said, well, do you think it's under 500000 Because sort of my head is ballpark. It's $2 million and up, you're probably good. 500000 and under, you probably can't afford it. And this woman did not know within that range what their net worth was. And it was, it was appalling. Um, so anyway, I, I knew somebody in that area who was a very good ethical insurance agent, and I connected them up, and I said, you know, the person that's hounding you, fire them just because they're hounding you, um, and talk to this other person that I trust. And, and But you don't need to do anything right this second. Just, you know, everybody calm down. <laughs> okay, Brent, you get to go. So, so to my point earlier about uh, we had someone who was looking to buy long-term care insurance on their parents, and they could afford it. The same story I was just talking about a minute ago. And so we determined that they could get a life insurance policy and, and reimburse them for it. And the reason they did that was most of the time when someone needs long-term care insurance, the claims for that long-term care insurance are three years or less. That's the average is three years or less. And they thought, well, why am I spending all of this money for five years or lifetime or whatever it may be for long-term care insurance when I can just buy a life insurance policy on them and if they're not going to need long-term care for very long I can pay the expenses and then get reimbursed and again to David's point earlier about how you may have been not necessarily tricking yourself but it feels like it was it was reimbursed and free and so that was a, a good story for for that family and, right. and we have had people who ran through their whole benefit we had client 
who um, exceeded the five years and, and blew out the other end. And, you know, and that's so the issue of, of insurance. I mean, I see both in my family and in clients, the problem we always have is your predictions are never valid. So if you think you're financing for the average three to five years and it turns out it's 10, oftentimes you run through your savings. The inverse also happens. You have sufficient savings or you buy insurance thinking it's gonna be three to five years and it turns out to be faster. It's hard to predict and that goes to me to your emotional investment risk assessment and all of that. All right, as we're wrapping up, I wanted to give each of you an opportunity to tell our audience how they can reach you. Uh, Brent, why don't you go first? Sure, you can look at our website. It's www.nlec.com or call me at 770-956-1800. David? It's financialarchitects with an S, LLC.com, which is way too long for a URL, but that's what we have. Financialarchitectsllc.com, and the phone number is 770-517-8160. All right. As we're wrapping up our show, I want to thank everyone for listening to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. For more information about Gaslowitz Frankel, please go to our website at gaslowitzfrankel.com. And remember to follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute and use our show's hashtag Wealth Matters. Our guests today were Brent Eden, attorney and principal with Nice Lagana, Eden & Cully, and David Hulstrom, co-founder and chief investment officer at Financial Architects. Please join us every fourth Wednesday of the month <laughs> at 8.30 a.m. here at Wealth Matters on Business Radio X. Thank you.